You're listening to Unlocking Our Sound Heritage and Childhood Games and Memories, brought to you by Manx National Heritage, the charity responsible for the Isle of Man's natural and cultural heritage. Sound recordings you'll hear today and throughout this series on Manx Radio are part of a unique collection of around 600 sound recordings digitised from the Manx National Heritage Sound Archive and available now online for the first time. The team at Manx National Heritage hope you enjoy eavesdropping on the voice clips we've chosen from the nation's sound archive, all of which can be listened to in full at imuseum.im. Before video games and mobile phones, children really had to amuse themselves. Let's hear from Mrs Brookfield of Craigneesh, interviewed by Manx National Heritage curator Yvonne Cresswell in 2008. I just loved it. I was going to ask sort of, um, you know, sort of what sorts of games or what sorts of things you did to sort of occupy yourself. And... Uh, well, obviously, my, my cousin used to come up as well. I mean, the games were like playing ticking, yes. you know, and and uh, very simple things. We we are just talking. As I say, she, my grandma used to give me a tin of buttons. Um, <clears throat> I used to play with these buttons, and I used to play shop. Right. And uh, and as I say, she used to have tables outside, and I'd play shop. Right. And, and I can remember going down to Perwick Bay, which we loved. We loved walking down to Perwick, and uh, and I'd play shops. Right. <laughs> with all the stones and, you know, all the yeah, pebbles yeah, and yeah. things there. and So it was really simple. Uh, yeah. uh, <clears throat> when you, we played cards and yeah. snakes and ladders and, and all those sort of little games. You, but you were inclined to sort of go to bed very early. You were very strict with times, yeah. you know, when you were... In those days, when you were under the ten, you were in bed by seven o'clock. In 1991, Mr Kelly of Garwick recorded some of his childhood memories, and it seems it was always hot in the summer and snow and ice were plentiful in winter. But looking back from a child's point of view, as I am doing, say from the age of four and a half or five, when I think the memory starts to become retentive, there were good days. My word, we had long, hot, warm summers. We had snow in the winter. We could sledge down fields in Buldrine that are now covered with bungalows, houses, all colours and descriptions. Our sledges were usually a couple of old battle staves with a box nailed on them. And then during the winter, we could always depend on getting ice on Gowick Lake and skating on it every winter. Why, would uh, that doesn't happen now. We may get the long summers, but they're not hot. And the winters are draggy, wet, but there's no snow and no ice like there used to be. I don't know what's happened to the season. But still, they went along very pleasantly for children in those days. We had plenty of good fun, and uh, things moved at an easy pace. Well, in those days, we could... 
race three abreast down Baldrine Hill on bogies. Imagine doing that today, you'd be mangled to death with hundreds of motor cars as a boat. That's another thing, a motor car was a big event. We'd run across the field to see a motor car. But uh, not to the old Manx people, the motor cars weren't a big event. They used to call them the Mulner's Yowl, the Mill of the Devil, because uh, they never saw anything faster on the road than the old threshing mill. Belting along maybe on the flat at about seven mile an hour and uphill at about two, with black smoke belching from the funnel, towing the threshing mill behind the steam engine and maybe a press behind that again, traveling from farm to farm. But uh, the sight of Model T Ford throwing up dust from the roads on a dry day and splashing up water from the puddles on a wet day and belting along at about 20 or 25 miles an hour, clattering and banging, that was almost an obscenity to the old Manx people. John Watterson of Port St Mary recalls some of his childhood games. After school and on Saturdays we went to the rocks to fish bulkies, what some older men called bulkions. Occasionally we caught ballons which we brought home to cook for the cat. We used to have iron hoops as well and crooks which we rolled along the streets and sometimes to Calvig and back. The hoops were made at the smithy down below at Port Burke. Mr. Hashi Kestain was the name of the smith and when the hoop broke we went back to him to have it spliced. An old retired captain, Mr. John Crow, bought me my first hoop. As time went on, motor traffic appeared on the roads and the police stopped us playing with our hoops. Levi Gregor of Peel also remembers playing with tops and iron hoops made by the local blacksmith. Did they play with tops in your time? Oh, yes, on oh, the top, yes. Uh-huh. The top and whip? Whip, yes. Oh, yes, the top and whip was a great game, too. But they wanted that mostly on the cement pad. Mm. Did they make them or buy them? Oh, they bought them. Oh, and they bought the top. They could make a whip, but they had to buy the top. What about hoops? Iron hoops, did they play with those? Yes, yes. Oh, iron hoops was always gone. Where did they get those? From the blacksmith. He'd make them? Yeah. How much for, I wonder? Oh, well, they weren't made much, maybe a bob or two. Mm-hmm. But once you'd bought one, you'd have it forever. Oh, a long time. Oh, sometimes it would break, you know, if you were going hard down the hill and mm-hmm. down at the wall, it would break. What and did you hit it with? Well, they had a, they always had that thing, a crook on it. The blacksmith had put a bit of a crook on, but it... Not all children's games were entirely innocent, though. In this clip from 2010, Eddie Lowey, former member of the Legislative Council, tells us some of the mischief he got up to at his granny's house when he was a boy. And just to explain before we listen, 
Gilpin are a type of small fish. And the last story about the gilpin, I just mentioned it to the chairman before, uh, was I must have been responsible for Granny Shimon having a very short life because there must have been an artistic streak in me somewhere because even the cats wouldn't eat gilpin, you know, the little fish like this. And the cat wouldn't even eat them. Brought them home, what do I do with this couple of dozen fish I had? So I went to the five egg and arranged them in a very artistic way round the seat. <laughs> now, <laughs> Grandma Shimon, of course, was one of these la old, old ladies. She had a skirt right down to her ankles and lace boots. And of course, when she went, and part of the evening, of course, was spent by the ladies. We didn't have, um, what's that advert for the, with the little puppy? that, uh, you know, Andrex, it goes forever and ever and ever. Half of the evening, no television, only the posh had a radio, and they would, they would cut squares out of the newspapers and put strings around for the loo. That was part of the evening entertainment. <laughs> a bit like lighting the fire, you always find the good bits, don't you? That you miss those time around when you're screwing them up to put them on the fire. But anyway, they had the... the so my granny, of course, was going into the loo, and she went backwards, of course, did the loo, sat down. I can still hear the screams. And I decided it would be better that Lowy left home, so I abandoned the ship for four hours. Uh, granny, forgive me, by the, by the way, but I don't think my mother ever did. Has a monkey ever visited your house? Gladys Neal, interviewed in 1990, remembers meeting a monkey belonging to the hurdy-gurdy man. What about the monkey, Valerio? Oh, he used to come up sometimes. The hurdy-gurdy, wasn't it? Yes. Did he come out to the farm? Yes. And come in and play? Did he? Yes, and the monkey with him. <laughs> was it good monkey? Yes, it was really. He used to feed it? Yes. Nuts. <laughs> yes, nuts for the monkey. I don't know anything else, I'm sure I don't. Can't think of anything. What's the what's the earliest thing you can remember ever in your life? Earliest the thing? The very first thing you can ever remember. Oh no, help me more. Remember being a baby? No. No. I, I don't remember an awful lot of thin little end on the road. Yeah. The first thing I can remember is out on the gate, looking at the children walking down to school, and your Auntie Nellie, of course, I saw her go past, and we got quite pally. To think of it in that, those days, and that went right through our life, you, you know. You were only a little girl. Yes. But she six. was, too. Yes. Couldn't have been six, I'd have been to school. Oh. Five. During the Second World War, everyday life for some children on the Isle of Man was affected by the internment camps, as Joyce Corlett tells us in this clip from a 1998 interview. At that time we lived in Bradder, which is at the, at the top of, of Port Erin, yeah. and I can remember from a very early age having a little identity card, and we ah. had barbed wire barriers at the end of Bradder, yes. um, and another one where Pringle and Cool is now, just as you come into Port Erin, uh -huh. and you had to show your, your little ID card. Even when we went down to church on a Sunday night, 
uh, and your next door neighbour was the ARP fellow in the little box you still had to show your car. <laughs> and I mean, in those days, we walked everywhere. We, um, I think, childhood was far happier than than today's. Are there? There were none of the fears. No. Uh, in in a small area like this, everybody knew everybody else. Somebody called to take you to Sunday school. Somebody called to take you to school. Um, you know, and there really were no worries. Everybody was was quite happy leaving mm. you in charge of the brothers next door, and they knew they would bring me home from Sunday school. And of course, rationing affected the availability of sweets and treats, as Joyce remembers now. I was born in 1938. So the only thing that sticks in my mind about rationing were the sweet rations. Oh, right. And <laughs> I can always remember when we, I used to come. I went to the little school at the Four Roads, which is Did still you? Russian Junior School. Yes. Um, and I used to m- meet my mother in Port Erin. We'd do the shopping. Mm-hmm. We'd meet my father from work, and it would then we'd be helped to carry it back up to Bradder because we had no cars yes. in those no. days. Yeah. And that was it. There was a sweet shop called Mrs. Harrison's, mm-hmm. and that was the ch- port of call on a Friday yes. night with yes. the, the coupons and the pocket money to yes. pick up the, the, the sweets, sweets yes. from Mrs. Harrison's. Yeah. So really, those are my my main um, memories of the memories of the war years because yes. I was, I really wouldn't. You were too young yet take to much in, I suppose, no. till I was four or no. five anyway. No. no. School days are allegedly the best days of your life. So next, let's hear some school memories. Gladys Neal went to Baldwin School. In this clip, she tells us about her daily walk to school and some of the games she played in the playground. How long did it take you to walk normally? To school? About uh, 20 minutes. About 20 minutes. Because it would take us longer. We'd be playing all the way, you see. <laughs> Not anxious to get there. Put it that way. What sort of games would you be playing with? Is there anything in particular? Oh, just fooling about the lot of us. There'd be boys and girls, quite a few of us, going at the same time. And uh, what now? Can you remember any games you played at school? Not only skipping, that's all. Was it? Yes, and leap the frog. Oh, and one time they got us a um, cricket bat and ball, but we didn't do much with that, really. The girls didn't, anyway. Do you remember them playing camag? Pardon? Can you remember them playing camag? What was that? Sort of hockey with a crooked stick. No, mm. no, we didn't get that far. <laughs> Did the boys and girls keep separate at in the playground? Yes, yes. They had a separate playground from us. In the next clip, we're with Gladys again as she talks about going to school in all weathers and learning to write. Would you still go to school if the weather was bad? Yes. Weather didn't stop us. We'd go in the snow. The rain wouldn't stop us. <laughs> so, oh, we're made to go. Yes, get off to school. Did you ever play truant? No. 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 I might have felt like it many a time, but I knew what would happen if I did. <laughs> what did you learn to write with? Slates. Slates, yes. And then pens. Yeah. At Bowen School. Pen and ink. Yeah. The inkwells and the desks. 
Ink wells in the desk. Yes. Did you argue with your parents about the shoes you wore to school? Gladys did, as she tells us next. And you might be surprised to learn that the disagreement wasn't about high heels or fashion. What did you not say, Be My shoes? Yes. Well, on, tell the tale. Well, that's only when I wanted to go to school barefoot. And uh, my father wouldn't allow us. Because they said people would say he was too mean to buy his shoes. But other <laughs> so children did. used to take them up and hide them behind the hedge and walk on to school and then pick them up when we come back. He was none the wiser. Good job too, we'd have got it. <laughs> but were there children who didn't have shoes? Yes, there were some, one or two. Not very many though, Norma. No. No, there might have been one or two of them. Any with hardly any clothes? Poor clothes? No, not too bad really. What was the attraction of going barefoot? Well, because the others were doing it. And let's just stay with Gladys for one more story, as she tells us how some boys turned the tables on the schoolmaster. Yes. Then another day, this is what she wants. Three of the boys took a pick into the headmaster and they stayed late. And the during dinner hour, they didn't come back in time. When they did come back, the master was going to give them a wallop. <laughs> but instead of that, they turned the master over the desk and they gave it to him. <laughs> they had sticks put down inside their waistcoat. <laughs> I'll never forget that day. Did they get into trouble for that? It's never mentioned and it wasn't mentioned in the thing at the, la at the museum. It wasn't in the school never, book. Never a word about it. John Watterson of Port St Mary remembers his early school days going right back to the First World War. I can remember starting school at the infants. There were two lady teachers there, Miss Sansbury and Miss Castain. We learned the alphabet and sang some nursery rhymes in the lower classes and in the higher classes we were taught to count, do sums, and taught to sing little songs which she wrote on the blackboard. The 1914-18 war was on and often we were let out of school sometimes to see the aeroplanes. Remaining at school until the age of 16 is a relatively recent concept. Herbert Watterson in this clip from a 2008 evening with Peel Heritage Trust, recalls leaving school at 14. No, I would, uh, I would just, uh, I would think immediately after the war, I, I started work in 1945, at the age of uh, 14 and a half, or even earlier than that, a month or two earlier. There was a vacancy in the post office in Peel. I uh, became a, a telegram boy, probably one of the last telegram boys wearing the famous pillbox hat. Shortly after that, the school leaving age went up and of course, children didn't leave school till 16 and uh, the rank then became junior postman rather than telegram boys. I and a, a, a lad called Lionel Cottier who, who came in a year after me, 
were Telegram boys for four years and uh, of course at that time telephones were far and few between and so people, uh, any urgent messages, were sent by Telegram. Andy Jockin left school even earlier, at the age of 12, as he tells Charles Clark in this 1950 interview. Now, in your younger days, you were a, a, a well, you served your time as a blacksmith, didn't yes, you? Yes, yes. Or in the first place, where, where did you go to school? What? Where did you go to school? Oh, me? Aye. Jeremy. At Jeremy? Aye. At what age were you started? Where did you start school? To go to school. Mm. I I went to school and I got about I knocked off I was knocked from school in August. I was twelve in April and I was knocked off in August and I swung then a nine pound hammer over my head. You did? Uh, well and our hours wasn't that was short. We started work at six in the morning and we knocked off at eight at night. No forty four hour week. There was no what? So no forty four hour week. You're lucky if you got off at four o'clock on Saturday. And you'd take when you'd start work in the morning, you could hang your clothes up, coat and whisket. And you needn't look for them till after eight at night. Going hard all the time. Going hard all the time. After leaving school, this laxy lady, interviewed in 1998, remembers that there were not as many opportunities for girls. Sadly, we don't know her name, but we do know that she was born in 1932. If you recognise her, please let us know. So you had, you stayed on the island? Ah, yes. Yeah. Mm. Yes, I just worked in my parents' shop. Oh, right. Yes. yes. I did a bit of everything. You know, did Baker. You? Yes. Butcher, baker. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Grocer. Yes. Oh, it comes in handy. It does indeed, yes. 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 It's quite a good ground. It is, it? yes. yes. Mm. Yeah. I think there wasn't the scope for girls then. I mean, the... There were shops and offices, mm. Mm. but not like there is today. No. Oh, definitely no. not. No. no, there was no opportunity. Mm. And, the and if you did go to university or college, it was usually with a view to being a teacher. Mm -hmm. And if teaching wasn't for you, mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of point in going go to college or university. No. no. Whereas now they go for... Everything. All sorts of things, That's yes. right, yes. Mm. The world's their oyster now. Yes. Mm. Absolutely, yes. Which is great. Yes. Which is great, mm. you know. Let's end with a rather magical evocation of home life as a child. Back to Eddie Lowy, MLC, as he gives us a beautiful description of his granny's house. My granny, I, the house, and I've got a photograph of the house, you very kindly shut, let me in and I had scones and... The place, believe it or not, still retains its magic. Um, when you went in, you had to stoop to get in, got in, only one room downstairs, really, and there was a uh, grandfather clock going tick-tock, tick-tock, and then another clock on the mantelpiece going tick-tock, tick-tock. It was like music. And on the, on the fire, which always glowed, lots of slack on it, 
was at this kettle. It was always singing. I don't know, it was magic really. I mean, if you wanted a cup of tea, all you had to do was pull it out over, put the poker in, give it a stir, flames were up. You had it quicker than an electric kettle. It's a fact. It's a fact. And so I can remember the smell and the feel of that building as if it was yesterday. And when I went in five years ago, it was immediate. It wrapped itself around me. A bit like peel, it wraps itself around you. So I've got magical moments of Granny Quine's house. I remember my granny dying. And the other nice thing, well, nice in, in the sense that I can remember these things and it was pleasure. I can just hear that kettle singing away. Thanks for listening to Childhood Games and Memories. Join us next time for Voices from the Victorians, or in the meantime, listen again to the podcast available on the Manx Radio website. You can visit imuseum.im and click on Unlocking Our Sound Heritage to listen to these and many more sound recordings from the Manx National Heritage Sound Archive. To find out more about the charity Manx National Heritage and how you can support us, visit our website, manxnationalheritage.im, or join us on Facebook.